Before we read this week's scripture, let's refresh our memory of what we've learned so that we do indeed renew our thinking. We said, God is sovereign. He is completely fair. He is entirely just. He shows mercy and compassion when he doesn't need to. God chose the children of Israel through whom he fulfilled his promises for the benefit of the whole world. And he joins us, even as we were reminded, he joins us into that family. He grafts us in. And he joins us into that family so that together, both Jews and Gentiles, we can together worship the Lord as the children of God. What a privilege it is. What a joy it is. So this morning, now we're reading in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, through chapter 10, verse 13. Romans 9, 30 through 10, 13. What then shall we say? Saying about the fact that the Jews had missed the things and you know they had rejected and so on. But now Paul says, what then shall we say? Here's what he says. That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because the Israelites pursued it, because they, the Israelites, pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this about Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The children of Israel who had received everything from God pursued the law and not the lawgiver. They felt that their keeping the law would make them righteous. They did not submit to God's righteousness. 
They did not or would not acknowledge that the law was pointing them to Christ, who was the culmination of the law. The truth of Christ that was directly in the path that God had been leading them on. They were on that path. They weren't somewhere else and then God brought them onto this path. They were in the path of God. And the truth that of Christ that was directly in that path became a stumbling block rather than a stepping stone because they determined that they would receive the fulfillment of God's covenant promises as a reward for good works rather than a gift received by faith. I've got to do something, I will do something, and then God owes me this, rather than by faith I receive this free gift of God. And so because of that, Jesus became a stumbling block for the children of Israel. But don't we do the same thing? Even when we are walking in God's ways, we can tend to think that God owes us for our good behavior. I've been really good. I didn't respond in anger when I was provoked. I was nice to that person when I didn't need to be. I gave generously. I was fully engaged in the church. So now, when I pray, God will answer my prayer. When I need something, God will provide it. Now, God will, of course, answer prayer. And he provides for all our needs, not our wants. He provides for all our needs. But the question is, are we receiving those things by faith as the grace and mercy of God is given to us? Or are we stumbling when things don't go the way that we expect? We say, I've done all these things. God will do this for me. And then it doesn't happen. It's our expectation that is built on our works, not on the promise of God. And it causes us to stumble. So, in contrast to the children of Israel, the Gentiles, who had not directly received the covenants, covenants or the promises or the law, the temple worship, they hadn't received all those things that we read about and learned about a few weeks ago. But they obtained righteousness by faith. How? When they were presented with Jesus, they believed in their heart, confessed with their mouth, and were saved. And we'll get more into these actions of believing and confessing. We'll get more into that next week when we go through the rest of chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. We'll look at that. So you can read ahead and see that and understand that. But this particular set of phrases here, will connect that to uh, the rest of chapter 10 when we go through it next week. But this week, I want to focus on the first part of chapter 10. Because in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul returns to what he stated at the beginning of chapter 9. His heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites may be saved. But in addition to making the points about the law and righteousness, points that we've already seen previously, he makes one very important statement in verse 2 about the Israelites. Paul says, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Notice, he doesn't say that they were zealous for their own desires. They were not zealous for what the world offered, nor were they zealous for the devil. They weren't pursuing evil. 
They were zealous, and here are just some synonyms for the word zealous. They were fervent, passionate, devoted, committed, dedicated, enthusiastic, sincere, purposeful, intense, and single-minded about Yahweh, the true and living God. Doesn't that sound like just the kind of people we would love to have in church? You know, think about it. How many times have you heard it said? We want people in our church who are passionate for God. We want people who are committed to the church and dedicated to its growth. Lord, we pray for sincere and purposeful people. Sounds great, doesn't it? It's a great list. I mean, they were zealous for God. But Paul says that the Israelites, despite their zeal for God and the things of God, missed God. Why? Because their zeal was not based on knowledge. Paul was himself zealous for God in persecuting Christians before he was confronted by Christ. But when he came to know the true and living God, when he came to know God, the God that he thought he knew, when he came to know God, he considered all his past knowledge and his zeal to be rubbish. Romans 10.2 is both a warning and an encouragement for the church. Before we marvel at why the Jews missed Jesus, we must realize that we are at risk ourselves of missing Jesus. Very often, we have been zealous for God and the things of God without knowledge. We have rallied for causes, and there's nothing wrong in rallying for causes. We have argued vociferously for right doctrine, and there's nothing wrong in standing for truth. We have opposed unholy living, and there's nothing wrong in pursuing holiness. We have spoken out on behalf of the church and the word of God. And there's nothing wrong in being bold and courageous for the Lord. But I want to ask you, has the church been zealous for God based on the knowledge of God? Are we truly seeking to know what God wants? Are we thinking according to the mind of Christ about ourselves, other people, and every circumstance? Or are we presuming that we know God and what He wants when we actually, when what we actually know is religion, culture, popular opinion, and our own perceptions? It's not really the knowledge of God. It's what we think is the knowledge of God. So how do we acquire this knowledge of God? How do we say, Lord, I want to have the true knowledge of God, not my own opinions, not my own perceptions, not my own culture, not my own religion. I was raised this way, you know, not my own impressions of conventional wisdom or popular opinion or the peer pressure that I experience. None of that, Lord, I want to know you. How do we know what the Lord really is about and what he desires for us. Well, first and foremost, we seek to know God as God. 
not our idea of God, but as he is. One of the challenges in knowing an infinite God is that we can never fully comprehend who God is because he's infinite. So that by the very nature of that, by that characteristic of God, we can never say, I know all there is to know about God. However, the Bible makes it clear that God has revealed himself sufficiently in multiple ways. Right? In all that we see around us, in our conscience, in the word, so on. The, the word, I mean, the, the, the Lord has revealed himself sufficiently for us. He has made himself known with sufficient detail, primarily in the written word. So through the word of God, we come to know of everything we need to know. We learn of his omniscience. He knows everything. He foreknows everything. We learn of his omnipotence. He is all-powerful. We learn of his omnipresence. He is everywhere. He is aware of everything that's going on. He sees all that is happening. And we learn of his wisdom that he chooses, that he always chooses what is right and best. We learn of his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his patience, holiness, righteousness, justice, and his grace. And we have been going through many of these attributes of God in our study of Romans. In our youth and young adult fellowship meetings, Gigi has been leading us through this topic of knowing who God is. And we're talking about these attributes there too. And the more we learn, the more we realize that there is more to learn. We, we can't exhaust this. We could spend a lifetime understanding each one of the attributes of God and how these attributes are manifest in the world and in our lives. But here's the important point I want to make. We must be careful that we don't compartmentalize God into one or some of these attributes. He's this. He's these three things. He's these ten things. Right? Here's what I mean. Through a variety of means, could be divine inspiration, could be that we dealt with a life challenge, could be that we had an answer to prayer. Through a variety of means, we experience one or some of the attributes of God. We directly experience it. And we know we experience his love, or we experience his grace, or we experience his holiness the awesome holiness of God. Or we experience his power to, do, to heal, to deliver, to do mighty things on our behalf. Or maybe we even experience his correction. Or we experience his righteous anger. Based on our experiences, we then emphasize those attributes over everything else. And we say, this is the way that God is. And we can't understand why everybody else is not relating to God in those ways. How come? You're not doing this. Why? Because that's what we have experienced. And we say, that's who God is. That's what God does. You should also do this. And we start to demand that of others. We may, get, we may even get indignant with those who don't relate to God the way that we do. Individually or collectively. The multiple churches, denominations, and gatherings that exist is because we said, oh, I'm doing this and you're not. I'm doing it right and you're not. Therefore, I will go do something different. Right? And so we have these attitudes in us because we think we know God or we know all about God or we know all his attributes. And we have put God into our 
boxes. And then, as we do that, we judge, we become self-righteous. And we are looking down on those that don't seem to know what we know. The antidote to this poisonous attitude is humility. It's what we've talked about. It's what we've acknowledged. It's what we're saying, oh Lord God, help me. Let me have humility to admit that I don't know everything. Let me have humility to learn from others, to understand what they're saying. Not just to disregard them if they are disagreeing with me, but to listen, to learn, to receive. Help me to have the humility to acknowledge that you speak in different ways, God, and you always accomplish your purpose, God. You don't always meet my expectations. I will go to this person. I'll tell them that this is the right way to think about this. Predestination, election, this is, this is the way to think about this. And they reject you. And you say, how dare they reject the truth? We always need to rely on God fulfilling his purpose, not meeting our expectation. If we go into it saying, I've got the truth, I'm going to do this, I'm going to say this, we will judge, we will be self-righteous, we will condemn those that don't agree. Instead, we go in with humility. And we say, oh Lord God, thank you that you humbled yourself, that you did all this for my sake. And therefore, let me reflect the mind of Christ when I deal with others. Because you said that when we look to you, when we confess you, when we declare your name and we proclaim this truth, we will never be ashamed. We will never have to say, oh, they rejected me. Oh, they didn't listen to me. Oh, how could they? No. Paul has anguish for his fellow Israelites. But he's not ashamed that they have not received his word. That responsibility is not his. He's not taking that on. He simply lives knowing the Lord and the ways of the Lord. Which leads us to the second point about seeking to know God and his ways. We seek to know God's plans, purposes, and will. We've been learning in the past few weeks that God works all things together for our good, that he chooses, directs, and allows everything that happens in the world so that his purposes are fulfilled. But God has a plan for each and every one of our lives and for our church. So individually and collectively and as the body of Christ and for the people of the world, God has a plan. God has a purpose. So as much as we know God himself, as much as we know the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, who he is and what he means to us and how we should relate to him personally, we also seek to know his plans, his purposes, and his will. Why do we study the Bible when it says this will happen in the end times or this is what happened in the past or this is how I deal with you in your present day? We are trying to understand what is the purpose, plan, and will of God. What is in his mind for what needs to be done? And when we get to Romans chapter 12, we'll look at specific actions we can take to know the will of God. Today, I want to focus on the desire that we would have to know God's will. We need to desire to know God's will. Right? We have to say, you know, Lord, I want to know what you are about. 
or what you are doing or what you want me to do. Many times we say that we want to know the will of God. We are interested to know what will happen in the future. At least we want to know what will happen to my children. Are they going to be okay? You know, I, you know I, if I can just be assured that my children are going to be okay, they'll be well settled, they'll be okay, then I'm, you know. We, we want to know. We are interested in what will happen so that we don't have to be worried we don't have to be worried or be anxious. And we want to know what purpose we have in this earth and whether we are fulfilling that purpose. You know, the first time we started in our men's fellowship meetings, the first meeting that we had in our men's fellowship, the first topic we discussed was what it means to live with purpose. Why is purpose so important? Because knowing our purpose sets the context for our lives. Without a clearly defined purpose, we have a combination of goals, non-goals, actions, non-actions, we are not really sure how to proceed. But knowing our purpose helps us to define our goals for the specific season we are in. Now, again, you may have a general sense from the Lord for your, all of your life. You may say, I know where the Lord is leading me. This is the sort of trajectory I am on. But we certainly don't know it in the specific details. We can't say 16 years from now on this date, I will be doing this because that is the specific purpose of God. He may reveal that to you, but we're not really trying to do that kind of, or receive that kind of revelation. What we're saying is, I want to know the purpose of God for my life, but I earnestly seek the purpose of God for a specific task for a relationship, for a specific period of time. I want to know, Lord, tell me, what is your plan? What is your purpose? What do you want me to do? How do I execute this plan that you have for me? At least for these next few steps that I've got. And sometimes the Lord may not reveal in detail, this is the purpose for why I'm asking you to do this, but instead he may say, obey me, do this. And as we complete those actions, we see the purposes of God fulfilled. We say, oh, this is what you were doing. This is how you were active in this. This is why you wanted me to speak to that person. Oh, I get it. Right? But we are actively seeking that. We're not just passive. We're not just going about, oh, wherever the river takes me. It's not that. We're saying, God, what do you want me to do? I'm purposeful about learning your purpose and seeking your will. And so when we do that, how exactly are we going to learn the purposes, plans, and will of God? Where are we going to find it? Family, friends, prophets, YouTube. How are we discerning the truth of God in what we hear from all these sources? There are no shortcuts. There is no biblical equivalent of your daily horoscope. Open it up. There it is. Oh, got it. Nope. The only way we learn God's plans, purposes, and will is to receive it from him. We spend time in prayer. We spend time studying his word. We were reminded of that too. We read through his love letter to us. And that gives us everything we need for life and godliness in the present. And it equips us to understand how to receive revelation and wisdom from the Holy Spirit for the future. So we go into it. We study it. We go in and we pray and we are doing these things. And we nurture our relationship with God. We learn what pleases God, and we do that. We communicate regularly with God, both speaking to Him and listening to Him, and we are in those disciplines. 
Why have Bible studies and fellowship meetings and sermon discussions in the church? It is to, to stoke the fire in each one of us to spend time with the Lord, both individually and collectively. Why have prayer meetings? We want to encourage one another to pray without ceasing, to pray individually and collectively. At the start of the new year, January 1st through the 21st, we're going to be praying 8 to 9 p.m. every night. Fasting and praying, those who can fast can do it, but those who can't fast or unable to fast, whatever it may be, it's fine, but we want to spend that time in prayer. We want to start the new year calling out to the Lord. We want to pray together. We want to cultivate an insatiable desire for God and the things of God. No, at no point should we be saying to ourselves, I know it, I got it, I'm good. No, we should be saying, oh God, I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. I hunger and I thirst for you. And when we meet together, when we pray together, when we share together, we're trying to spur one another on in those ways. We're saying, keep desiring the Lord. Keep thirsting and hungering for Him. Keep spending time with Him. Keep listening to Him. Keep going to the Word because the Lord desires to speak to you and to be in communion with you. As we spend time with God, as we spend time in His presence, we can't help but learn what his plans, purposes, and will are. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to go to that conference, you know, get your word. You know, you simply spend time with God. And God says, how can I keep it from my servant, from my child? You come and you crawl into his bosom in his lap and you put your head there. He just can't help but talk to you and tell you. This is my purpose. This is my plan. This is what I want you to do. This is, this is how I'll help you. Praise the Lord. So we seek God for who he is. We seek God as God. We seek to know God's plans, purposes, and his will. And we seek to know God's people. Why get together on a Sunday morning to worship God? Why are we going to share communion together next week? Why gather online on Wednesday evenings or Saturday mornings or in person or in any other thing? Because we want to know the people of God. We want to grow in our love for them. We want to show love and compassion to all and especially to those in the household of faith. That means that we must learn how to get to know others. We must be interested in the details of their lives even when it may look like we have nothing in common with them. We must look for ways to connect. We must include. We must love. The Bible is filled with one another scriptures. One another. Love one another. Serve one another. Pray for one another. I mean, just Google that term, one another, and you'll find so many scriptures. The Lord calls us into community. In fact, the church family can be just as, and in many cases, more meaningful in our lives than our own families. We experienced some of that even this week. But let's seek to know God's people. Which leads me to this point of application or to conclude by saying this. We respond and apply by desiring to know God, His purpose, and His children. Zeal without knowledge can lead to fanaticism. Zeal without knowledge can be restrictive and even destructive. Don't mistake fervor in ourselves or others 
as godliness. Discern whether the decisions we make are rooted in biblical knowledge, not just zeal. We don't start with conventional wisdom and then determine how the Bible supports it. This is what I think I should do. This is what the world is telling me I should do. This is what the leaders are saying I should do. Then let me see how the Bible supports it. No. We start with the knowledge of God. We start with the knowledge of His truths. We start with the knowledge of His ways. And then determine if conventional wisdom aligns with it. And if it doesn't, we say, I go this way. I go this way. If the wisdom of the world, no matter how good or right it is, does not align with the knowledge of God, we are transformed in our thinking by the renewing of our minds. We say, Lord God, I'm not sure how to reconcile these differences. You transform my thinking. You renew my mind. You speak to me clearly, directly, reveal. Some of you may be familiar with the organization The Navigators. It's an international ministry established in 1933 for followers of Jesus Christ to help others come to know and grow in Christ as they navigate through life. So the Navigator's motto is to know Christ, make Him known, and help others do the same. To know Christ, make Him known, and help others do the same. That's what we want to do. We want to know more of Christ and Him crucified. We want to make Christ known to others. We want to help those who come to know Christ to grow in their knowledge of Christ and in their knowledge of others so that they can, in turn, make Christ known to others. It's the process of multiplication. We're not building our own things. We're not trying to draw people to ourselves. We're saying, let me help you to get to Christ. And let me help you to grow in your knowledge of Christ. And let me help you to grow in your knowledge of others. And as you do that, you go and do this for somebody else. We want to multiply. We want to be infectious in the right way. So, how will we know if we're growing in this knowledge of God? The knowledge of His plan, His purpose, His will, and the knowledge of His people? The tree will be known by its fruit. A growing knowledge of God will cause us to love Him more and want to obey Him. Not feel obligated to obey. Oh, I have to do this. But if our knowledge of who He is is growing in these biblical terms, oh, we will, our love for Him will just abound. And we'll say, oh God, I love you. The more I know of you, the more I love you. And the more I know of you, the more I want to serve you the more I want to walk in your ways. When the knowledge of God abounds in our lives, we will love Him and want to obey Him. When the knowledge of God's purpose abounds in our lives, when we start to see, oh, this is what God wants to do, we will be energized. We will be purposeful. We will have clarity about saying, this is what the Lord wants me to do for my life and for the church and we will do those things from a place of rest and a place of peace. Not anxious, not troubled, not thinking, oh, what will happen, what will happen, what will happen, I hope it happens, I hope it happens, I hope this doesn't happen. No. We'll say, oh God, as I see your purpose, as I understand your will, I'm at peace. I can trust you. 
I can move forward. I see what you're doing. And maybe you show me only two steps forward, but I see those two steps and I take them with confidence. Maybe you show me 10 steps ahead. Wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you show me 10 years from now what's to happen. Great, Lord. I will discipline myself and I will, I will pursue that and I will remain faithful because you're showing me what you intend for me. Thank you for that. Oh, as we grow in the knowledge of the purposes and the plans and the will of God, we will obey the Lord in fulfilling those purposes. And as we have a growing knowledge of God's people, it will cause the love of God that we are receiving to be shed abroad in our hearts so that all people will be drawn to Christ. The Bible says that they will know you are Christians by your love. Not by your doctrine, not by your righteousness, not by your allegiance, not by your love. People will know that you are children of God. And when we live like that, when that growing love of God, that growing knowledge of people expressed in that way is what is characteristic of our lives, people will be drawn to Christ. This morning, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you that you would leave from here and say, oh God, help me. Help me to know you. I don't want, just want to be zealous for you. I don't want someone to say to me, oh, what a strong Christian he is. I want to truly know you. I want to know who you are, for who you are. And I want to know what you want to do, your purpose. And I want to know your people. I want to be joined with them. I want to be knit together in our, in our hearts with cords of love, not, not with some superficial soul ties, but with the cords of love of God, that we would be knit together, speaking into each other's lives, encouraging one another, connecting with one another, praying together, fellowshipping together, and saying, oh, let's move together. Let's do this. You can do this, because the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. That's the joy that we have. That's the opportunity that we have. That's the fruit that can come. What a privilege. Aren't you glad you're a child of God? What better way is there to live in this world? You know, we're leading up to Christmas pretty quickly. What a beautiful time. But what a time to give thanks for what the Lord has done and to pray with compassion, with mercy, with unceasing anguish for many around the world who will be aware, somehow maybe just aware of Christmas, but need to know the Lord, the Christ of Christmas. They need to know God. They need to know his purpose. They need to know his people. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to be zealous but to have zeal with knowledge. And I pray, Father, that we will never stop seeking, that we will never stop learning, that we will never stop desiring the knowledge of God. Lord God, let us never think that we've got it. Let us never think too highly of ourselves. Let us keep coming to you and saying, God, show me. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal your plans to me. Reveal your people to me that I may connect with them. 
Even the very fact that I choose to go to a specific local church is because, Lord, you have asked me to connect with that local assembly, with those brothers and sisters, so that together we can encourage one another to know you more, to follow you more closely. Oh, Lord God, to be fervent in faith. Thank you, Jesus, for that privilege. Father, let this word resonate. Let this word ring true in our hearts and help us to set right those areas in our lives where we truly have lived greater, with greater zeal than with knowledge. We have dealt with people out of our own thinking, our own perceptions, and we've been fervent in those opinions and perceptions, but we really haven't dealt with knowledge. Lord God, forgive us, cleanse us, renew us, and help us to deal with people according to your word, according to your grace. Help us, Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us so much that you don't leave us in our ignorance. You have said, ask, ask, and I will give you all that you need. So we praise you for that. We rejoice, and that is our hope this morning, that the Lord hears and answers us and gives us zeal and knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.